drinking? I'm having a nice cup of Irene tea. I don't like tea. But this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia. It's family owned and operated in Indiana. Well, let me try some of that. Oh, that's pretty good. Where'd you get it from? I went to IraneTea.com and in a few clicks, it was at our front door. For Joe Plaid as well. And one of them, Dave Cox, was on the uh, state championship team in 1961. Uh, at Kokomo. At Kokomo. Uh-huh. And that's the only state championship that Kokomo has had in the boys' basketball all through the years. And possibly and, if Dick and Tom Van Arsdale were playing a little bit better, that you guys may have not had a state championship. That's exactly right. That game went overtime, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Brother Dave still stays in touch with the Van Arsdale twins. Oh, Okay. And uh, Brother Dave, uh, he went on from Coco down to Evansville where Brother Clyde and I had played, and he played with Jerry Sloan. You know that name, I bet. Oh, yes, I do. He was on that undefeated 1965 team that they beat Southern Illinois twice that year and won the NCAA Division II uh, tournament. And uh, Evansville just had... uh, Oh, about three weeks ago, the 50th anniversary of the 65 team, and I went down to that celebration, and that was really neat. Oh, very nice. You you, you want to go ahead and get started? Hey, it's up to you. Okay. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, you're, you're my coach, and you're my leader, and I'll just kind of <laughs> fall in. <laughs> I'll just kind of fall in and... Answer the questions, I guess. <laughs> no, no, this this goes this goes pretty smooth. I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty probing, and uh, you know, uh, and, and most of most of uh, the guys I have on the show, you know, I, I I normally can't shut them up. No, no, uh, no offense, please. But <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you helped me with that because you know, at uh, that induction to the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, the MC had already told the. Uh, people at the banquet, what my achievements were all through uh, high school and college. And then when I was coaching in my hometown, Kokomo Hayworth, too, I didn't have to talk about what I'd done. I went ahead and just used it as a family reunion. <laughs> I had all of my family there. <laughs> so I had a lot of people to introduce and did uh, give credit for whatever success I had at high school, college, and coaching, and I took it from there. <laughs> but I had fun with it enjoyed that. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and do an introduction, and we'll go ahead and get started since we're warmed up. How's that? That sounds good to me, Billy. Fantastic. Welcome, uh-huh. to, the, welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today, we have a former Kokomo Wildcat, Evansville Ace, and Indiana High School basketball coach, Howard Cox, with us today. Howard, thank you. Coach Cox, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive, and welcome to the program. 
Well, Billy, thank you so much for inviting me to join in on an interview about Indiana basketball, and uh, it's a real thrill for me to uh, join up with you today to talk about basketball. You know, and I thank you. And you know, it's it's something that just when you think that you know a lot about Indiana high school basketball, there's a name that pops up uh, on on my fa our Facebook page, the Indiana Basketball Memories website. And once you start doing research, there is another great story of Indiana high school basketball lore to be told. And and uh, once I found uh, your name and started looking you up at Evansville and at Kokomo Hayworth and at Kokomo. Uh, it, it, it was just kind of fabulous, and I wanted you to uh, spend a half hour, 45 minutes with us talking about your career. So uh, what was your initial in, in introduction to basketball, and, and why did you get into the game of basketball as a kid? Well, as I told you, Billy, um, I'm from a large family and uh, had the six brothers and two sisters, and I think when I was real young, <laughs> we had to uh, get out and play the sports that were in season uh, so that we could stay out of trouble mainly. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I got started in the uh, elementary uh, school program there in the Kokomo vicinity in the uh, township school, small school, and played uh, sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade basketball there. That's where I got started. And at that time, I had a brother that was a senior, and he played for the Howard Hornets just outside of Kokomo. So uh, that's when I first uh, was introduced to the game, and that's where I got started. Was there anybody that did, was there anybody that you um, uh, you know emulated or wanted to be like or was there what were the big stars at that time that you're like you know wow this game of basketball I enjoyed I like it I would like to play like this person. Well, you know, at that time um, there wasn't anybody that I really did try to look up to or uh, simulate. Um, Back then, you know, we just had television that just started. <laughs> and what we learned from listening to ball games is on radio. So I didn't really have that um, uh, that person out there that I uh, really tried to simulate. And uh, I think probably my older brother, Clyde Cox, uh, you know, two years older, he was uh, 6'3 as an eighth grader. And he was a different type of player than what I was, but I think that I learned a lot by just hanging out with him and going with him to play uh, basketball during off season. And uh, that's kind of how I got started. And being small, I decided I needed to do something to uh, develop my skills. So I took a liking to high jump, long jump, and pole vaulting. And back in that era, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was always probably the best jumper in my class. And so that carried over onto the basketball course. And if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have made the basketball team when my parents moved from the uh, county schools on into Kokomo High School my sophomore year. There's nothing there, there, you know, like today they have the weight room and all this kind of stuff. And back then, you, you know, uh, that, those are probably three things that probably helped you out tremendously. Yes. And then, too, by living out on the farm those years until I was a, a, a sophomore, those farmers later in life, they kind of took credit for my success. They told me that. Farming, you know, uh, baling straw and hay and <laughs> and the granary, uh, shoveling, 
That was my weight training program, and they they took the credit for my uh, strength, you know, to become an athlete. (laughs) So before you went into went to Kokomo, you kind of had an idea just because of uh, family members that went to Kokomo, kind of uh, what the basketball program was like and what you were getting yourself into, correct? Well, what had happened? My parents, um, uh, my mother worked at Delco Radio in uh, Kokomo, and we lived out seven miles in the country and the country roads back then were not very good to travel, especially wintertime. And then uh, our schools were consolidated into Northwestern High School and it was all the way on the other side of the county too. And when we get picked up on the bus on the east side of Kokomo, we had to go way around to the west side of Kokomo to go to the high school. So I think that my parents, they, uh, they just seemed to think that we better just move on into Kokomo and my brother was going to be a senior at Kokomo High School. He was 6'4", and he grew real, real smooth. And he fit into the Kokomo personnel really well that year. In fact, uh, that team went 23-3. and three. Wow. And Memorial Gym was only uh, in its third year. So, um, you know, that Memorial Gymnasium, brand new, it was seated uh, 7,200 people. And that team, it was Joe Platt's third year there. He'd already had uh, some winning ways uh, uh, beginning to establish. Uh, they went 23 and three and won the North Central Conference, and and um, they were rated number one in the state most every week. But when we got into the tournament, uh, the uh, semi-state, Kokomo had to play Marion Giants in the afternoon game. And you know how strong Marion has been through the years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we just squeezed by them, and then uh, we had to play Muncie Central that night. And we'd already beaten them earlier in the year on our court, but we were playing on Muncie Central's court in the semi-state. That's and a little, that was a little unfair. Well, yes, but to make a long story short here, um, we struggled and uh, ended up losing, though, in the semi-state to Anderson by a point or two. And then they went on one the state. But yeah. that 1951 and two team, in my estimation, would rank right up there with the Kokomo State Championship team or any other team that Kokomo's had in the past years. Yeah. Because they won the North Central Conference, and that was really a tough conference. And the ranking weekly in the uh, Indianapolis Star was uh, right up there in the top position most of the time. And that was back when Tech had uh, Joe Sexton. You've probably yeah. heard of him a yeah. few times. I know you've had him on your show. And then Mel Garland. So, uh, was, was Mel Garland on that squad too? Yes, he was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And keep in mind, while I was in high school at Kokomo, uh, you know, my senior year, that was when uh, – Milan did win the state over Muncie Central also. So, were, so, so, so were you kind of chomping at the bit because watching your brother play and you, and then you guys, you know, uh, were you chomping at the bit to get there to Kokomo and play basketball? Oh yeah, sure was. My parents almost didn't move to Kokomo because of me. Being a sophomore, I was only about five eight and probably 140 pounds. And they had a fear that I might not even make the uh, JV team. But I encouraged them to go ahead and move in for the family because we needed to do that. And so um, 
I went to the uh, outdoor courts, you know, during the summertime, and I started looking at all the players that were sophomores and counting the ones, you know, that I was going to have to beat out to make that team. Well, I did make the team and also was even a starter on that JV team and played three games, and the coach moved me up to the varsity, you know, after three games as a sophomore. So I was a part of that 51-2 and two team, but I rode the bench most of the time. But I was exposed to all those great athletes, and, and that really got me going. And we had six seniors on that team. And so after those six seniors left, my junior year, we had a lot of big shoes to fill. Right. And we, sophomores and juniors, did step up and came, came back with about an 18-6 and six record the following year. And so you see, when you have that kind of exposure, first of all, I had a, looking back, All-American, uh, you know, coach. Memorial Gym was new, seated 7,200, sell out about every game. You know, I had the atmosphere there uh, for basketball. How could you fail? Right. We really had uh, school spirit and fan spirit. And uh, the, our team, uh, coming back that following year, 52 and 53, we really worked hard during off season and kind of filled the gap and had a good successful year and went on to the semi-state again. And I ended up going to three semi-states while I was in uh, Kokomo as a player. Uh, your senior year, who did you guys lose to in the semi-state? We lost to uh, Mishawaka. And they had a couple of really big, strong uh, forward and center uh, and uh, we lost in the afternoon game, the first game up there. Um, but it was, we lost to a really good team. And tell us a little bit about that atmosphere that you talk about. You know, uh, sold out every night, I would imagine, for games. And, and you just, you know, tell us a little bit about the, the gymnasium. Okay, uh, sure. Uh, first of all, uh, our student section was a section of bleachers under the basket. And it was filled on the lower level, and they all had their uh, special uh, cheer block shirts on. And the cheerleaders really did lead them to make a lot of noise. You know, they had, you know, the kind of cheers to really pep up the whole uh, gymnasium. And those fans, they were very supportive. In fact, you know, when we would score a basket, there would be a big roar of the crowd. And it was really noticeable as an athlete. We'd hear that big roar, and it gave us uh, that adrenaline. You know, that we could run harder and faster and jump higher. And <laughs> it was amazing uh, what a, a gym full of people will do for your program. Um, you know, of the magnitude that the Kokomo uh, program was developing at that particular stage. So, uh, that Memorial Gym, uh, the first year was 49 and 50, and that was Coach Joe Platt's first year there. That really got things really stimulated in the hotbed of basketball in Kokomo. And it seemed like it just got contagious. The fans were always there for you. And the visiting school didn't get very many tickets. They might have only gotten about 200 tickets. <laughs> <laughs> because because the Kokomo fans bought up those you know season tickets. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Back in uh, like 
61, when Kokomo did win, you know, the state, back in that era, then, uh, you know, I was right around the Jimmy Rail era, too. Right. Uh, their Kokomo demand for season tickets, they would only sell, you know, remember, 7,200 seats. They sold uh, 5,000 seats to 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> and this is honest good truth. And the home uh, fans could only go to every other home game. <laughs> now, that's that's a magnitude there. <laughs> so, you know, most people in this day and age could, could not ever realize or dream that a program could ever be that strong. But the Kokomo uh, era back in uh, the 50s and 60s, it was, uh, it was like that. Uh, did you do you know? Did you have anybody that on opposing teams that you were friends with that gave you their? You know, we have your impression of what it was like to play there at the Memorial Gym. But did you ever get any impressions from uh, opposing teams or players to you on how it was for them to play at Kokomo? Uh, oh yes, um, I can't probably name any specifically, but. Um, uh, one thing that they always complained about, hey, we have to come into your place and we can only bring 200 fans with us. That doesn't seem like a level playing field. That was their main concern. <laughs> so was it your senior year that um, what other opportunities did you have besides Evansville? Well, let me tell you, my senior year, I did have a mishap on Friday December 13th, we played Marion, and I stole the ball from one of their guards. His name was Bricker, <laughs> and I went down the court. See, I was a high jumper, and I went on down the court solo and went up to dunk, and he ran under me. Oh, wow. And I started coming down head first, and I had to catch myself with my hands, and I broke a wrist bone. So, you know, that was really upsetting, but what happened, I had to adapt to that because the only way I could have gone to college was through a, an athletic scholarship. And so I was able to play, um, continue to play. I think I just missed one game. And I had a cast on from my elbow down over my wrist and part of the hand. And I played with that cast on for four weeks. And then the doctor made up a leather brace for me, just put mainly around my wrist and my thumb, and I continued to play. And they're saying that I might have been the only player to ever win the North Central Conference scoring with a cast on his arm. Wow. So I had those, I had that uh, to overcome, but, uh, but I was able to continue on uh, with my like I said, I won the North Central Conference scoring title my senior year. And uh, Evansville, they were recruiting uh, big, tall players uh, after my senior year. And um, they didn't have any scholarship for guards. So Bob King of Purdue, he recruited me to go there. Okay. And uh, I had made the Indian All-Star team, and back then they only dressed 10 players. Right. And I was an alternate. Well, they had two alternates. 
And as a result, I didn't get to practice or play with the All-Star Stars against Kentucky, even though two players on that first 10, two of them couldn't make it, but uh, I think it's uh, Dan Bates of the Indianapolis Star, he chose someone locally here in Indianapolis to fill in. So that was really disappointing to me. Every high school kid wants to make the all-star team, right? Oh, are you kidding me? You're correct. So anyway, to get back to uh, college opportunities, Archie Dees decided in August that he wasn't going to go to Evansville. He decided to go to Indiana University instead. So the Evansville coach, Aaron McCutcheon, he called me up and asked me if I'd be interested in uh, coming down since he had a scholarship for me. And I told him, I said, well, I'm all set to go to Purdue. I would have to make a trip to Purdue to see if I can get a release. Back then, uh, Billy, they didn't have that uh, letter of intent. Right. And so I was able to go over to the uh, over to Purdue and sit down with uh, Bob King and explain to him what I wanted to do. And he knew about brother combinations, and he he uh, knew that it would be nice if I could go to Evansville and be with that older brother. And uh, he released me without any problem. And then later down the road, uh, when uh, Evansville built that new stadium, Robert Stadium, yeah. we played uh, Purdue in Robert Stadium the very first game. And my brother and I, Clyde, we were starting guards against uh, Purdue. And they had that Lamar Lundy on that team, too. Yeah. And remember the uh, golfer, Campbell? Yeah. And I think he had a Merriweather, too, that I had to guard from the attics. <laughs> he was about taller than me. <laughs> but we got, we got into that game, and the Evansville fans were just as good as what they were at Kokomo. They were really anxious to uh, fill up that Robert Stadium. And back then, I think we only had to pay uh, Purdue $5,000 to come down there to play. And so uh, as the game went along, we had a 10-point lead in the second half, but we hadn't really practiced the delay game to run the clock. <laughs> and we uh, had a few turnovers without scoring, and Purdue, uh, you know, they uh, uh, narrowed that lead down to a tie game going into the last few seconds. And then Purdue called a timeout, and they went to their big Lamar Lundy down low, and he scored a winning basket to win 62-60. to 60. Now, now, was Roberts about the same size as the Kokomo gym, or was it a little bit bigger? Uh, larger. It was larger. Okay. 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 Now, Evansville um, – we had a big rival Kentucky Westland across the river. Right. And my, uh, I think it was senior year, when Kentucky Westland came across to play us at Evansville, we had uh, 12,888 fans there. Wow. And they put some preliminary, well, some portable bleachers up around the top. Uh, have you ever been inside the uh, Robert Stadium uh, back in its day? Yes. Okay, you, you know, it's ground level, and you walk down to your seat. But up on that ground level is where they put uh, portable uh, bleachers. <laughs> and boy, was that ever an exciting game to play. I 
guarded uh, a Mr. Basketball from Kentucky, King Kong Kelly Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was a long shot artist, and he crossed the 10-second line. He was about 6'3", and I thought, well, I better get up on him. He's going to let one go in a minute, and sure enough, he would. And a neat thing about that, I might uh, be ad-libbing here a little bit too much, but we had just played the Kentucky Wesleyan two weeks before that on their court, and King Cone Kelly just got 19 points. He played with his teammates that particular game, and they beat us a couple of points. But when he came to our place, you know, with that big old crowd, he wanted to be a showman out on the court. And I held him to 35, <laughs> and we beat them. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, I played in the era at Cocoa High School when basketball was really getting off the ground very, very strongly, and it became the hotbed of basketball, and I left there, and Went on down to Evansville, and we had to play in the armory for the first couple of years, and I was redshirted one of those years with a broken wrist again. I re-broke that wrist that I broke in high school. So I'd sit out a year, but that, that helped me because later uh, I went a total of five years to college, and that fifth year we won the, the first national championship at Division II level at Evansville my senior year. Now that, that was in the ICC, right? Uh, we were in the ICC uh, conference at that particular time. Okay. Indiana Collegiate Conference. Right. Yeah. And um, this was Division Two also. And then, you know, we did have the uh, ICC teams. Do you know who those teams are? Do we need to cover those teams? Uh, let's go ahead and cover them. Let me, let me, give, a, let me give a try here. I think it's a... Uh, DePaul with a W, I think Indiana State University, uh, Butler. Uh-huh. Uh, Ball okay. State. Okay, Ball State. And Valparaiso. Okay. And then St. Joseph of Rensselaer. Okay. And uh, that rounded out the uh, teams in the Indiana Collegiate Conference. When you played for Evansville, what were some of your favorite places to actually go and play at? Well, I think Butler was one of the favorites. Yeah. Playing playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and back then, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, they they that was just a gorgeous place to go to play. And I liked playing against Tony Hinkle too. Right. Let me add, Bobby Plump, he went to Butler. Right. You know, the guy that hit the winning shot on Hoosiers. Yeah. So I ended up guarding him. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. Okay, go ahead. So I like the Evansville Butler series. We played twice a year. And every time we'd come up to Butler, they would win on their home court. And when two weeks later, when they would come to Evansville, the Aces would always win on the Robert Stadium court. My junior year, Bobby Plump was a senior. And that older brother of mine, he was coaching high school up here in Indiana. And he was at, uh, uh, he was what is now uh, Clinton Central. 
And he decided to take his basketball team into Hinkle Fieldhouse to watch Evansville play Butler. And he wanted his team to watch me play defense. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing. (laughs) Well, you know, the Hinkle style, pick and roll. And so, you know, while I was guarding Bobby, you know, the the, uh, offensive guy would come set a pick on me and our aces on defense would have to make the switch. So anyway, that evening, Bobby Plump scored 41 points. And I've had a hard time throughout my whole adulthood life living that one down. (laughs) I didn't want to get it from my brother and his team. His team says, Coach, you mean to say you brought us down here to watch your brother hold Bobby Plump to 41 points? Have you ever had any salt in the wound later in life? I probably put up on business. And he invited me to Broadripple to his uh, Plump's Last Shop restaurant. And when I went in, you know, I reminded him that, you know, I guarded him at Butler and I told him that I held him to 40. He corrected me. He said it was 41. You see how mistreated I've been. <laughs> so, are you, you know, good friend, are you are you pretty good friends with Bobby? Yeah, I have been. I haven't yeah. seen him for a while, but yeah, right. we we had a nice relationship, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, I think uh, all of we collegiate players through the years, uh, we had a lot of respect for one another, and uh, you know, uh, we really. Uh, respected each other and and that was fun made it fun just those athletes are just class athletes you know to and good citizens coach when you graduated from evansville did you have an inkling on what you wanted to do or at what was there any one point in time where you said you know i want to coach the game yes there was i had some offers to go into sales but uh, i decided well i've gone through college now and i was uh, training myself to become a coach you know i took took those uh first aid classes too and and those courses to help take care of athletic injuries and all of that and and so my brother i think during the process of uh going to college he decided he was going to be a coach and i thought to myself well if he can coach i can coach (laughs) (laughs) so you see the kind of influence that uh he had on me, we were roommates at home in that large family home, and then we did uh, become roommates in college, too, about three years. And so um, after I graduated, after winning that uh, national championship, uh, I had some uh, coaching offers, and I accepted one down at Mount Vernon High School in Posey County. They had a head track job, coaching job open, and since I had experience in high jump, long jump, pole vault, and some running events, um, I was able to take over that well-established track program at the varsity level at Mount Vernon in Posey County. And I was freshman basketball coach. And that was a good place for me to start in the basketball coaching because that level is where these kids really start learning to shoot the jump shot. They weren't strong enough maybe in the eighth grade year, but they were the uh, freshman year. 
so I stayed there uh, two years, and during track season, I saw Herman Keller. You might know him yeah. from the Indiana High School Athletic Association. Mm-hmm. He was my student teacher uh, supervisor at Balsey High School. So I approached him and asked him, or mentioned him, that I thought I was wanted to get my feet wet and start varsity coaching. And if you hear of anybody that might have a job, uh, would you please uh, notify them that I feel that I'm ready? It wasn't very many weeks later I got a phone call from the other end of the state, Portage, <laughs> up by Gary. And it's a suburb, uh, suburban area, you know, kind of like where I am here in Fishers and right. Hamlet Southeastern. Well, the superintendent called me, and he said that uh, Herman Keller uh, suggests I gave you a call, and you were interested in a head coaching job, and he says, I have one available. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, I was already married and had one child. I was thinking about 300 miles up there and 300 miles back. (laughs) And I asked, asked, what are my chances in getting the job? It's 300 miles up, 300 miles back. He says, well, he says, I wouldn't be calling you if I wasn't interested. So when he said that, I thought, boy, I better get my buns in the car and get up there. (laughs) Almost like Norman Dale. Yeah. So, you know, so here's what happened way back then. I got up there and had a good interview with the superintendent and the principal and athletic director. And and I think that was on a, a Saturday. And they liked the interview so well, they called a board meeting the next day. And I appeared before the board. And some of those people that were on the board had seen me play at Valparaiso. Right. With the Aces. Yeah. And they liked the program that we had uh, with the Aces. And they liked my style of play. And and they gave me the assignment uh, the next day. Wow. And you don't hear of that type of um, follow-up from administrators in schools uh, in this day and age. So uh, that's how I got into uh head coaching right away was through uh, Herman Keller. I have to credit him for, you know, getting me in and getting me started. And I was at Portage for seven years. And we had an enrollment there, uh, Billy. It was 900 in the upper four grades when I got there in 1961. And before I left, at the end of seven years, they were 1,800 in the upper four grades. Doubled. And so I was in uh, the suburban area where I had to, uh, say, build the program. We didn't have newspaper, didn't have radio, and um, it was a nice area to live. And uh, it was right next to uh, Gary. And since we didn't have the uh, press and radio I thought it'd be, it's difficult to build a program under these conditions. And my greatest competitor was Valparaiso. And they had a strong program. And then later our sectional was at Chesterton. And so uh, after uh, the seven years, Kokomo uh, built a new school, uh, Kokomo Hayworth. And so I decided to apply for that and 
and um, the Kokomo job was open as well. So as a young coach, uh, I went down to check on the Kokomo Hayworth job and the Kokomo job. And, you know, being a young coach, I decided I better not press my luck. I think I'm going to go for the new school where I can go in and build the program from ground up. And I'm going to really emphasize taking good stats and keeping good school records in basketball because you know how you guys are – in sports, you like stats. Right. So uh, I would say, you know, they went ahead and appointed me to the Kokomo Hayworth position, and Carl McNally went into Kokomo High School the same year that I was hired, and he was from Purdue, and you know his background, no doubt. Right, right. And we had a great relationship all those seven years. Carl McNally was a really fine gentleman, and Ron Barsh's assistant was great, and I couldn't have asked for a better relationship within a city that had uh, an interest in basketball like Kokomo, the city of Kokomo, and uh, Howard County had. So yeah. that was really exciting to go back to my hometown, and I was really blessed with some really fine talents. I, I was doing some research late last night, though, and I kind of noticed a couple times you beat Kokomo twice in the year. What, yeah. What, 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 what was that feeling like to do that, or did it, did it oh, give you some uh, kind of special feeling? Or? Oh, well, it was very special. You know, I had some fans who would uh, ask me, by Coach Cox, uh, how, how do you feel about going in and playing Kokomo? Do you feel like you really want to beat them, or do you think since you played there that you would not want to beat them? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, if there's anybody on the schedule that I'd want to beat, it'd be my inner city rival. Of course. So, you know, there's all levels of fans, but the state of Indiana has some very, very intelligent basketball fans in this state. And Kokomo had their share of good, smart basketball fans, too. Now, the first year, you see, uh, Billy, we didn't have any seniors at Hayworth, and that was just fine. I had some really fine, big, strong athletes. And Bruce Rose and Jeff Shuck kind of led the pack there. And uh, in practice, I would have, say, like two 6'6 guys against each other, two 6'4s, and then maybe uh, two 6'3s against each other. We could match up pretty good in practice. So after we got uh, through that first year, you know, we played a strong schedule. It's kind of like the North Central Conference schedule. We ended up 9 and 12, but had all these guys back. And then after having all these guys back, that following year, we went 7-0 and right off the bat and came down to Carmel to play in their holiday tournament against uh, Bill Shepard Sr. coaching, and Dave Shepard was the guard. And so we did lose in a real freakish finish in their gymnasium. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, you might question my ability to coach. (laughs) I had a five-point lead with 17 seconds to go, and I lost. And we had possession of the ball at end court, too. Now, I don't want to go into any of the details. I've already put all that behind me. (laughs) 
but we went on and and later in the year we did lose to Kokomo in the regular season and I found uh, in the film review after the game that Kokomo didn't go out and defend my 6-4 forward like I thought they might and it didn't show up while I was playing the game but it really showed up really bad in the film so I moved him to the post and moved Bruce Rose out to the forward and made that adjustment in the sectional and so we were able to come back and uh, you know beat the Cats in the sectional but then we won the sectional and won the regional over Bluffton went to the Fort Wayne semi-state and guess who was up there I'm assuming Carmel Carmel But the problem is, who did Hayworth have to play? Plymouth in the first game. And Steve Yoder, who later coached at Ball State in Wisconsin, he was a coach there, and he had a fine team. But I really did try to protect our guys against thinking about Carmel. And so we went out and played that game against Plymouth, and to make a long story short, our guys were so anxious to get the game over. A couple of them fouled out regulation and went into overtime, and we lost it in overtime. So we didn't get that rematch with Carmel. But Billy Shepard, uh, who's the son of Bill Shepard, senior the coach, and Dave Shepard that played, and you probably know his background. Right. He was really glad that we didn't play Carmel in that championship game because he knew that we could match up with him really good. And he had a fear that we would probably take him the next time around. <laughs> so that was Billy. That was my closest opportunity to get to the final four. It was that, uh, Lugodi was in the final four that year, right? Yeah. They went to final four and they matched up with East Chicago, Washington. Yeah. And Washington was really big at that time. Right. And we could have matched up with Washington better had we had the opportunity, but but they did lose to a really fine team, the Chicago uh, Roosevelt. Yeah. Coach, I want to go back a second, and, and I forgot to ask about, uh, number one, can you tell us a little bit about Coach Platt? I know I'm going way back, but t- tell us That's a little okay. bit. That's okay. Okay. I might have led you away from your anchor, you know, as to where you wanted to oh, take me. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, Joe Platt, um, he was he was a mild-mannered type of individual. Uh, he wasn't one of those real screamers on the court. And um, I give him credit. He always got the most out of his athletes. They always seemed to get tuned up to perform their best. And he really did promote the team aspect, too. And he worked a lot on shooting. And he liked the fast break transition game naturally since he played for Branch McCracken at IU. And our Kokomo fans loved that style of play anyway. And so uh, um, he was that type of personality, and uh, he had great rapport with the players. And through the years, the unfortunate thing, after my last brother played for Joe Platt in 1964, you know, he came down with Parkinson's disease, and he had to step out of coaching. But he was able to go ahead and teach, and he taught in uh, the middle school 
there in Kokomo, and I had a son that was attending that school too. And, uh, you know, my son kind of assisted uh, Coach Platt while he was under those kinds of conditions as well. So you can see I grew very, very close to Coach Platt. And then after having coached his son at Hayworth, you know, that's been a really meaningful experience that I had in my lifetime of coaching. And then Mike Platt, his son, you know, went on down to Evansville and played there too. So uh, the Cox family and the Platt family, we had uh, a real unique uh, experience uh, in Kokomo during those years. Very nice. And my other question that uh, I skipped over too was, um, evidently since uh, the first coaching job you took was a, a track coaching job to become the freshman coach, did you do track? Were you a multi-sport athlete at Evansville? Oh, yes. I was also in uh, the field events in track and field. Yeah. High jump, long jump, and pole vault. And Evansville did not have what you would call a track team. But they would gather athletes together to participate in the conference uh, track meet. And so in engaging in the uh, Indiana Collegiate Conference track meets, I did get some medals for high jump, long jump, and just high jump and long jump. I didn't get into the pole vault that high. So I guess my highest high jump was like 6'3", and that was four inches over my head, and we had sand and sawdust, Billy, to land in. (laughs) (laughs) And long jump, you know, I jumped like, I think it was a, 2110, something like that. And I got to jump against, uh, in the, at Purdue, the, uh, the big state, little state track meet. And let's see, Indiana University had a jumper that uh, won the Olympics, and he only beat me five feet in long jump. <laughs> so, Go ahead. Go ahead. My, 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 next, my next question, and this is going to sound odd, and you may think I haven't done research or don't know what I'm talking about, but Evansville and their basketball program, why didn't at one point did they not go that Division One route rather than stay at that Division Two, And then, of course, later on, you know, in the, in the 60s, they won national championships, but it was never in the Division the Division One. Was there – some kind of a uh, – was there a master plan to that or what? Well, I think so. Uh, first of all, when Roberts Stadium was built, the NCAA Division II decided to hold the finals in Evansville at that large uh, Roberts Stadium site. So that brought a lot of teams into Evansville – which brought a lot of revenue into the city. And I think Evansville lived and thrived on that for a number of years. And then after we won five national championships at Division II level, the administrators there thought, well, maybe we better move on up to Division One." And so they made that decision. But, Billy, are you aware that in 1977, 
Evansville had a plane crash that uh, there was no survivors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Terrible. Okay, that was the largest disaster that I've witnessed in my years in athletics. I was coaching basketball at Castle High School the night of the plane crash there in Evansville. It was a real dismal, rainy night. Mm-hmm. And on takeoff, that plane got off the ground, but it crashed suddenly. So what I'm getting at, after Evansville lost all of those players, well, then they were going to Division One, you know, that particular year. And so the NCAA lifted uh, regulations where they would allow athletes from other schools to uh, – uh, to relocate and transfer to uh, Evansville without having to sit out any time. So that plane crash did set us back a lot in that Division One, uh, getting it off the ground. But uh, it seems as though uh, uh, Evansville found that that Division One competition, you know, was very keen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go to that next level, why uh, you're not going to have as many wins as what you had at Division Two level. So it just seemed like the Evansville basketball, including, you know, Jim Cruz's tenure down there. Right, right. Yeah, you know, we had a great coach there that that replaced uh, Bobby Watson, that was uh, the first year coach at Evansville on the plane crash. Uh, Jim Cruz came in uh, later and and got the program moving pretty well. But he did a uh, great job. He did a great job, and I'm watching him over at St. Louis right now. Right, with Calvin Chaney underneath his wing, man. Uh, you got Chaney too. I'm yeah. I've been following that. You know, he's from he's from Evansville too. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> so I have, I have been I have been uh, slapped in the head with Evansville uh, history by Dave Shellhouse. Oh yeah, I came. <laughs> hey, I came near hiring him to assist me at uh, Hayworth of Colquitt when he graduated. <laughs> it didn't work out for either one of us, so maybe that was a good thing, right? <laughs> but he was a really a terrific athlete, and I liked Dave a lot. And he he was a big figure in the city of Evansville, and also in the Purdue program as well. Yeah, and then there's another one down there, Gary Greiger. Uh, although sometimes he can be a little ornery. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, yeah. He was on the '65 team, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him three weeks ago. Yeah. And he was at Balsey High School when I was doing my student teaching, so uh, we had a little chit chat, you know, memories. <laughs> you know, your program's all about memory lane, right? Uh, exactly, keeping the nostalgia hey. alive. I'm pushing 80, and I have a lot of memories. My memory <laughs> bank is just about full. Now, now don't take the, take no disrespect to this question, but I was laying in bed this morning, and I was going, okay, he graduated high school in 55, and it's now 2050. Wow, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm so thankful, and I've had good health all through these years, and I've been blessed with good health, and I've just enjoyed life, and I'm I consider myself a people person, and I'm really enjoying my time with you today because you're doing something of my passion, and that's bringing back memories from history, and you went way back to get me. (laughs) (laughs) 
now, now was Kokomo, was can what, I, go, go ahead. Go ahead, no, no, go no, ahead no, and ahead. ask. I had I had another thought, but I want to no, tell me that thought. Oh yeah, I have to cover my bases on holding Bobby Plump to forty-one. <laughs> you mind if I do that? No, go right ahead. Well, you know I got a lot of ribbing for that. So on our fortieth Aces anniversary of our championship, in the hospitality room, I called all my teammates together and I said, "Guys, I need to have a talk with you." I said, "I've had a lot of people heckle me about my defense." since the Butler game, and I'm not going to take responsibility for 41 points. <laughs> now, Hugh Allring, he and I started for the Aces for three years, and I says, Hugh, that Henkel offense, you know I got picked off a lot of times, and you had to pick up Plump. So I know he probably got 15 points off of you. <laughs> And then I looked at one of the forwards and substitute guard that came in, and I said, guys, now I know that you guys had to pick him up some too. So I have to get this off my chest. I think that I'm only responsible for 15 points that Plump scored. <laughs> they got a big bag out of that. <laughs> So then uh, here's one more thing about that, because that was a big thing in my life as an athlete because of Hoosiers, too. Right, right. So two weeks later, we played Butler at our place at Evansville. Well, the week of the game, uh, the day before, Coach McCutcheon advised the other assistant coaches to kind of keep an eye on Harold Cox and see how he responds when I asked the question, who wants to guard Bob Plump? <laughs> so he had that all set up, and then when he popped the question, they were saying that my eyes popped up really big, and I want him. But under my terms, I said, I'm going to guard him, and I'm going to deny him the ball as long as I can, if that's permissible. And I got a big smile out of those coaches, <laughs> thinking, man, this guy, he really wants to play defense, and denying him the ball might be a good thing. So the game started, and I went out there with that attitude that I was going to deny Bob Plump the ball, and I didn't care what all the other Butler players did, in a sense. And the crowd started seeing what I was trying to do, and they got behind me. And with that noise cheering me, from the stands, guarding Bob Plump for 10 minutes without a shot. You know, I really had a lot of support, and and Bob Plump was held to his season low of 16 points that night, and the Aces did beat Butler. So <laughs> I had to kind of redeem myself that night against Butler and Bob Plump. So that was turned out pretty big in my career, I think, looking back. Well, well, let's let's look at those stats. If you held him to 15 points one game and he only got 16 the other, you held him to about 15 and a half points a game. That's pretty hey, good. That's true. Yes. Hey, that's true. Hey, that's true. Billy, I like your style here. <laughs> I like you as a stat man. <laughs> man, I can see why you enjoy what you're doing, too. Now, now I, I assume Hayworth was your last stop, coaching stop? No. Um, I kind of decided uh, – 
under some uh, personal uh, situation there in Kokomo, it was kind of time for me to move on. Sometimes uh, people probably should not go to their hometown. Sometimes oh, they, yeah. I think sometimes they lose appreciation for what you have to offer. And I think in my coaching career, you know, I did tell you that I went to uh, Portage for seven years and Kokomo Haver seven years. And I just tell people, well, that's all the longer they can stand me. I've already taught them all I know. And so I moved on down to Newburgh, where Castle High School is located, a suburb of Evansville. And at that time, I had three children, and I had a son that was a sophomore. And I wanted to give him a, a fresh start at a new school that had, it was a brand new physical building at Castle High School. They had a tartan floor, really nice facility, and it's like a caramel of Evansville. So um, I was there three years, and my son was uh, uh, a starter for me three years, so I finished uh, coaching there, and I didn't have uh, very much talent there, and I did not have winning records. And when my son graduated, I decided to graduate out of coaching and go into uh, uh, another occupation, which turned out real, real good, and and I, uh, I really did enjoy the second career too in sales. Now, you, uh, I think I was talking to you earlier too that uh, you have been inducted into the uh, Howard County Hall of Fame. Uh, which one? Uh, the Howard County Hall of Fame. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Uh, it's Howard County Sports Hall of Fame, and the induction was uh, last fall in October, and that's one of my. Uh, nicest uh, rewards for my achievement through the years. And that award was probably based on both uh, uh, as a player and as a coach at high school level and collegiate level. And the highlights of uh, that probably earned that uh, award would be at Kokomo High School my record as a player was 60 wins and 20 losses. Nice. And Evansville, it was 62 wins and 18 losses. Wow. So looking back, that would probably weigh very, very heavily on my getting inducted into that Hall of Fame at uh, Howard County. What was, your, coach, what, what was your win-loss record as a high school coach? Uh, I I ended up right at 500. I don't have the totals at. Uh, I know at Portage it was 75 and 75. Okay. And it was, hey, worth the first three years is what they based my uh, induction uh, achievement on. The first three years at Hayworth, I was our team was uh, 58 and 15 for a brand new school. And that was my most uh, successful uh, stop in my coaching career was those years. And the other years were probably close to 9 and 12, you know, through even the Castle years, right. about 9 and 12 each year. Yeah. So you, you probably won over 250 games. At, yeah, at probably least, so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I – I probably just never did uh, calculate yeah. that. Uh, 
I don't, at least I don't have it at my fingertips. I have uh, scrapbooks of all that, and I put them on scrapbooks on CDs yeah. too. Well, Coach, anything else you'd like to add? Did you did you uh, get a hold of uh, uh, Coach Hodges or? I I put a call into him, but uh, I didn't. <laughs> drinking i'm having a nice cup of irene tea i don't like tea but this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia it's family owned and operated in indiana well let me try some of that oh that's pretty good where'd you get it from i went to irenetea.com and in a few clicks it was at our front door Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today, before I get started with our guest, I would like to, for you guys to go on over to the IndianaBasketballWallOfFame.com. Check out our page. Check out what we're doing. I'm not competing with the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, but what I'm doing is recognizing those that have dedicated and committed and contributed to the game of basketball in and from Indiana. And hopefully this is a stepping stone. The Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame is a stepping stone for the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame because there's a lot of deserving people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame that aren't. Um, if you do get a chance, uh, go to kickstarter.com and type in Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame. There's a video there. And if anybody wants to contribute, there's a place that you can do that. Uh, I would really like to thank uh, uh, Coach Creighton Burns, Rick Fields, and his father, Sam Fields, uh, Bill Butcher from Lagodi and Coach Marty Eichelbarger, uh, they've all made an investment and uh, I really support, I really, I really appreciate their help. And with that being said, uh, in the next, in the next week, I'm going to roll out the next six inductees to the Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame. And I'm going to give you two today. Uh, one is Rodney Haynes, a 1986 graduate of uh, Newcastle High School, is a Newcastle uh, High School Trojan, uh, went on and played at Ball State. Uh, of course, Newcastle has the biggest gym, high school basketball gym in the world, seats close to 10,000 people. And uh, it's very nice for me to also uh, introduce uh, Coach Harold Cox, who has also been inducted onto the Indiana Basketball Wall of Fame. And this is the first that he's heard of it, but we've also done a show with him, and it did so well. And he has such a wealth of stories and knowledge of the game of basketball in Indiana. We thought we'd invite him back for part two. And Coach Cox, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to spend another hour with us on keeping the nostalgia alive. Well, Billy, thank you for the invitation, and I certainly enjoyed our uh, uh, interview uh, the first time around. And uh, we hope that uh, the interest will continue in uh, uh, Indiana. Uh, all the fond memories that we've had, and I'm certainly anxious to share more with uh, the basketball fans uh, throughout the country. You know, the one thing that stuck in my mind the first time that I chatted with you a little bit and, um, uh, you know, back when you were in high school, uh, dunking wasn't 
you know, the, the thing of the time, right? Well, I don't think we had many athletes that had that kind of agility to get up there and dunk like they do today, naturally. But uh, back in my time, they also uh, refrained from allowing you to dunk and even warm up for fear that the uh, rim might be uh, breaking the glass backboards. And that happened a few occasions. So that's why the rules committee uh, disallowed uh, dunking and warm up and I can recall back when Ray Tolbert and Bobby Wilkerson played at my place. Uh, you know, they had to go up over the rim, just drop it in. They couldn't dunk uh, because it's against the rules. Now, is that something, did you do that a few times in the game? Uh, they could uh, dunk during the game, but uh, not not as often as what it is today. It's just, uh, it was very limited amount of uh, dunking back in the 50s and 60s. But it, it did grow when it got into the sixties for sure. Uh, now I know you were, uh, did track and field and all that, and that's where you really built up your leg strength. Um, I, I, and I have a photo that you sent to me, which uh, is appreciated that of, of you coming down uh, because you were going either high above the rim. Tell us about that injury and what that meant to uh, uh, you during your high school career. Okay. Well, Billy, I recall that incident very, very well. And many of the people that, uh, we're in Memorial Gym back in December of uh, 1953, remember it too. And um, I just uh, stole the ball and went down the floor solo, so to speak. And I went up over the front of the rim attempting to dunk, but I had a player that ran under me and undercutted me. And then I fell forward and I had to land on my hands. And so, um, um, that was about the only time that I uh, actually probably dunked that particular year. But uh, that was frightening, and it uh, did break a wrist bone, uh, the navicular bone in the wrist. And, uh, you know, I had to overcome that. But I was able to go ahead and uh, play with a cast on back in those days, and then uh, four weeks, and then re we reduced it down to just a leather brace over mainly the wrist and the, uh, the, the uh, thumb. So, uh, um, you know, I, I overcame it, and and that's a good thing. Um, tell us a little what were, I know your favorite place to play in high school was probably your high school, but what was a place that you, you disliked going uh, and playing at their home so much that you, you didn't want to leave there without beating them? Well, I don't recall many of those, but there's one unique uh, floor uh, that was in the North Central Commerce back in my day, Logan Sports. You know, they had one of the corners of the floor was cut off and they had bleachers going across it. <laughs> so uh, that was amazing to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, play on that court because uh, one of the forwards uh, losing some space over in that uh, right corner of the court. Now, I, I want to, you know, on our last show, we, we talked a little bit about Evansville basketball. I'd like to get into it a little bit deeper on this show, but um, a lot of questions were uh, uh, that stuck out to me was about the uh, robes. Can you give us a rundown on the robes and when those were brought in and, and what that meant? I sure can, because those uh, robes were brought in during my era, and um the main reason for the robes, uh, Coach McCutcheon, he thought that taking your warm-up pants off 
and your uh, warm-up top-off, it just took too long for the substitute to do that before they he would send them into the game. So he went to the robes, and I, that was his uh, creative idea. And uh, the very first time that we experienced wearing the robes at a collegiate game was at St. Joseph at Rensselaer. And at that time, it was an all-boys school. And I was really pleased that I was a starter on the team uh, because after we warm-up, we went to the locker room and got the pep talk and got ready to come back out to the floor uh, to start the game. The starting five would always take their warm-ups off and go on out and maybe shoot free throws before uh, the jump ball. And then the reserves put their robes on in the locker room, and they followed us out onto the court. And it was amazing. The uh, St. Joseph uh, boys, they picked up on this very, very quickly, and they started singing as the Saints come marching in. <laughs> and that was really a, a truly exciting experience. And uh, it, it was amazing how they thought of, about doing that on the spur of the moment and just uh, ignited the whole gym. It was really something. And uh, so that was a start. All the robes were white at that time. And then as uh, time went on, uh, Coach McCutcheon still believed in the robes. So he decided to add a little color to it. And he uh, had players wearing different colors of robes in throughout the years. So, uh, that was his trademark, uh, and it lasted a lot of years, and they still have those robes today. Oh, wow. Did you, by happen chance, get to keep one? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have one. <laughs> oh, tell, tell us the truth. You're doing this interview yeah, in one yeah. of those robes. Well, I think uh, I do have uh, one of my jerseys that I played in. You know, uh, another thing that Coach McCutcheon was uh, noted for was uh, the sleeve uh, jersey top. Um, and I did get, uh, my Jersey. Um, we had one coach that came to Evansville decided not to uh, wear the sleeves. He wanted to go back to the sleeveless Jersey. So I picked up on that real quick. I decided to call the equipment manager right away. <laughs> I wanted my Jersey number 14 and he accommodated me and <laughs> mailed it to me. And I have it framed now. Awesome, awesome. What what was Coach McCutcheon like? Was he a screamer? Was he was he uh, intense? Well, he's a little of both. Uh, you know, he was a real fine Christian man, and he uh, had great leadership qualities, and he gave all of us our foundation to build our lives from. And uh, as long as you um, responded and tried to do the best you could under his instructions, well, everything went very, very well. But if you cross the line, well, he'd sure let you know about it. And, and that's an ingredient, though, of a good coach. If you're going to have a good team, the team has to follow the lead, and uh, then you're going to have success. So uh, he was one of those people that was a coach that was uh, consistent, too. He consistently, uh, you know, uh, put the uh, uh, – the rules out there and we followed them and um, you know it was just a nice relationship that uh, we all had with the coach we uh, really uh, respected him uh, how uh, did you maintain a relationship with him after you uh, came out of Evansville well uh, we always had a pretty good relationship uh, while I was coaching and uh, um, you know I would also spot players maybe up in the Portage-Gary area that might be prospects for the University 
University of Evansville. And, you know, he kept in touch with me in that regard, too. And uh, then, of course, I uh, had brother Dave Cox. He played at uh, Evansville and uh, with Jerry Sloan in the mid early to mid-60s. Uh, and uh, so there's another reason for us to stay in contact. And uh, so uh, he always stayed in contact with his players pretty much even after graduation. Now, was it 69 they went 29-0 and and won the national championship? That was 1965. 65. And, uh, and I went to their celebration for that uh, 50th reunion about a month ago. What was that like? And, and, well, that was terrific. Uh, most all the players were there. And we're talking about like uh, Larry Humes and uh, 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 Jerry Sloan and Russ Grieger and uh, Sam Watkins. Uh, he was from, uh, I think, uh, Louisville. But that was a nice reunion. They uh, had the, the uh, athletes up on a stage and with microphones and had a little reception where the audience could ask questions and uh, I had a little chance even afterwards to uh, have them sign a book that was uh, developed uh, in their behalf uh, like the newspaper clippings of all their games and they sold a book uh, contained the video of uh, the Evansville versus Southern Illinois game and uh, you know, that was really a nice uh, package that they pulled together for that uh, 50th celebration. And I had a uh, little bit of interaction with uh, all of the athletes, and one in particular, Jerry Sloan, you know, he just retired uh, from the Jazz a couple of years ago. And I had a chance to maybe uh, visit with him just shortly, and I just asked him, how are you doing uh, out of coaching? Do uh, you ever think about getting back in? And he said, yes, he said, uh, uh, I've had some offers, but he says the teams that I've had offers from are losing teams, and <laughs> I don't want to go that route. <laughs> and so uh, I went on to ask now, if if someone out there uh, had a winning uh, group of athletes, uh, would you go back in? And he said, yes, he would. So... Uh, after uh, all those years coaching, you know, that mental strain that he had on his body, uh, I think it's taken some out of him, uh, in my opinion, in a positive way. You know, he, uh, uh, I think he, I've always looked at him as a real big, strong person, real aggressive, you know, and, and uh, that's been diminished some through the years because of that aging process. Right. Uh, you know, I have a question for you, and it just came to my mind, so I have none, I have done no research on this question, but it is, you know, in 1965, uh, do you think they could, whoever won the national championship in Division One in 1965, do you think that that team could have beat that team? I think so. You know, they, they were of that caliber. Um Division two in that particular era, there's there was not much difference between that and Division one, especially yeah. loaded with those athletes. And um, you know, I saw a recent picture on the of that team on Facebook just uh, you know a few days ago, and that went through my mind too. I think those guys, uh, you know, they had the chemistry, they had the talent, they had the rebounding, and up and down the court, uh, they would at least given the uh, Division One champion of 
a wonderful game, I think. Um, after, uh, after, along this, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, along, along that line, um, Evansville still has a Division II uh, finals in Evansville. Uh, not at Robert Stadium anymore. Of course, that's torn down. But they have a Ford Center, which is very, very nice. And um, they uh, have invited all of the uh, five uh, Division II championship teams to attend and be recognized uh, during that tournament this year. So, you know, I'm planning to go there. To My team was 1959, and some of my players are deceased now. So I sure want to go down and join in uh, the ones that are, you know, still living and that do attend so that we have some numbers, you know, to at least to introduce. And then um, they wanted to get in the 60 and then 63 and 64 and then 71. So all of those players have been invited for a special recognition of that Division II uh, uh, championship teams. Coach, before uh, they tore down Robert Stadium, and of course I'm going to also include Hinkle Fieldhouse in this question, could could they put a blindfold on you and walk you into Robert Stadium, and it, could you could you smell it and recognize where you were? <laughs> no, I don't know. That's been a lot of years ago, but well, in a way, in a sense, yes. Uh, you know, that was a wonderful place to play, and it was wide open and. Uh, the fans had uh, a lot of space from uh, the basketball court, too. So uh, the playing floor was really uh, designed for the larger players of uh, this day and age. And uh, it was a great place to play. There was not a bad seat in uh, Robert Stadium. You know, I, I had the opportunity to go back home to Indianapolis two years ago. And, you know, I, I, my wife could have walked me into Hinkle Fieldhouse blindfolded. And I could have said, hey, I'm in Hinkle Fieldhouse. It was just a, it was just a smell to it. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but uh, I don't know if I could do that or not. But I would sure <laughs> give it a I give it a college try. <laughs> now, now Jimmy Jimmy Rail came after you at Kokomo. Yes. Did you follow his career? Uh, are you friends with Jimmy Rail? Well, we've uh, stayed in contact uh, a little bit through the years, and uh, here just recently, I know that he uh, had a hip replacement and. Uh, sustained a blood clot uh, as a result of that too and he's recovering from that okay but uh, going back uh, uh, I was in college when he was uh, a senior in high school um, so I got to follow his career you know as a player at a distance but I didn't get to see him play much because I was busy playing right and uh, I did get to see him play uh, in Kokomo and Memorial Gym against the Christmas Addicts. And in that game, I saw him hit one or two from uh, the large center circle just uh, beyond the 10-second uh, line. Wow. He had range, and he continued that, too, in college, and I fo followed his college career, too, but I didn't get to watch much of his pro career. And uh, one thing he did do uh, while I was uh, – uh, well, after I got out of coaching, um, he uh, pulled together a fundraiser basketball game in Kokomo Memorial Gym, and they brought in uh, 
the Chicago Bears football team for a group of uh, we uh, former athletes to play against. And so Jimmy Rail kind of headed up that uh, uh, that game and brought in Wed Gooseligan back then, and he also brought in even Louis Dampier from uh, uh, Southport. And then I got to play and Mike Platt and a few other uh, alumnus of uh, Kokomo. And what I'm going to get at here, I think uh, he was probably about 36 or 37 years old. And in my estimation, he wanted to prove to those Kokomo fans he could still shoot the ball. And he did prove it. In the third quarter, I was sitting out that quarter, and I was on the bench, and he hit 11 three-point shots. (laughs) And he didn't miss but couple. So what an exhibition he uh, did put on for that uh, Memorial Gym crowd. And uh, so he was a prolific uh, shooter. He was what you'd call a shooter more so than what he would be a scorer. You know, I call it the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show, and, and I'd love for you guys to share your stories. And I have a question that may sound egotistical, but I still want you to answer it. When Being the great ball player that you were, and when you were on a streak or on fire and would hit shots, did you just, once you would hit a shot and you knew you were on a streak, did you just kind of, did you did you have a look on your face? Did you just turn right back around and get into defense? Or did you kind of stay pumped up a little bit? Or how did that work? Well, uh, back in my day, I didn't have very many of those hot streaks. <laughs> I think I shot right at about 38 to 39%. And, but I understand what you're saying. But um, uh, usually, back in that day, we just would hit our shots and we know that we're on that particular night and we'd just go ahead and turn and go back on defense because Coach Platt, you know, he just didn't want any showboating out there. He wanted just uh, to have humility about ourselves and our play as well. And then, you know, after the shot, just get on back and play defense. So that was kind of the uh, temperament that uh, Coach uh, Platt set for the players out on the court. Either one of your teams uh, that you played for, Evansville or Kokomo, did you ever have a, a bench-clearing brawl? Uh, uh, would you say that again, please? I'm uh, sorry. Did, did tempers ever flare at Kokomo or down in Evansville where, you know, there, uh, people oh. left the bench or there was, there was the possibility of an uproar? No, really I didn't get into any of those as a player. But let me tell you what had happened, say, when I was coaching at Kokomo Hayworth and we came to North Central to play. And uh, uh, Lecklider was a coach and his son Todd was a player. Right. And I had something that uh, happened in about the third quarter of that game. We had uh, three of my players and three of North Central's players. They got into a, a kind of a wrestling match one down in the right corner of the floor, one out in the free throw circle, and one around the 10-second line. Well, we got it uh, broken up rather quickly, and nothing became of that. But later on, I asked the guys, what stimulated this uh, uh, wrestling match between you six players? And it was a carryover from baseball the past spring. <laughs> <laughs> They uh, got into it in baseball, I guess, and they carried it over into this basketball game. 
And um, one time I was at um, an airport, and I saw Todd Lecklider while he was coaching Butler, and his mother was with him. And I went on up and introduced myself to Todd <laughs> and let him know what, uh, you know, where we uh, met. And his mom spoke up and said, yeah, I remember your team coming into North Central. And we had a fight that night. <laughs> and that was years later. But in answer to your question, that's about as best I can do on that one. <laughs> Coach, what was at Evansville? Well, give us a little idea of, you know, today the teams play, uh, fly on jets and, and they're, they're eating this fine food, this good food and all that. But what was travel like? Or take us uh, uh, when you would travel or how far did you travel sometimes to some games and what was it like? Well, uh, back then, we traveled in uh, what we would call station wagons. And today, they're like SUVs, you know, more modern term. But the conference that we played in, Evansville, we'd uh, drive these cars up to, say, like to Terre Haute, Indiana State. We drove, uh, you know, to Butler. And when we went to, uh, as far as Valparaiso, well, we would have to stay overnight a couple times. You know, because of the distance. So uh, restaurants, uh, you know, uh, I don't recall too much about that, but uh, we, most of the cities would have a, a place for us to go as a team to eat. And I'd like to also even mention that uh, um, I played back in the era uh, when the uh, we referred to them as black or uh, a nigger grow back then, but it's Afro-American now. Uh, at uh, Ball State and Muncie, I know our team went to a restaurant to uh, uh, eat after the game, and this restaurant, uh, I'm sorry we can't serve you because wow. we had a black person on the team. Right. And that was Ed Smallwood. And so the coach says, well, he's part of my family. He says, if you can't serve him, you can't serve us. Wow. So I went through that, and uh, also back then, you know, we had uh, Mississippi State came in to play in a holiday tournament, and when we had uh, Ed Smallwood on the team, uh, they refused to play us because we had a black on the team. Wow. So they pulled out of the tournament, and then we went ahead and had to play a – we had to play one of the teams that was going to be in the consolation game. And so we had to adapt to that. So I just want to throw that in uh, because it's that time of, uh, uh, you know, where we had some of that uh, turmoil going on. Wow. Uh, very interesting. Coach, what, uh, in, in, in retrospect now, what, could, who, who, who did you look up to or who do, you, who do you look up to now as probably maybe some of the top five Indiana high school basketball coaches of all time, who would that, who, who would be on your list? Well, say at, at this day and age, uh, I probably don't know those coaches all that well right now, but in my era, I always looked to uh, Phil Buck at Madison Heights that did coach uh, Ray Tolbert, and Bobby Wilkerson. And uh, I always thought that I had to be, really well prepared to go against his team because he did so many things with his team. I'm talking about offensively and defensively. I know with uh, Bobby Wilkinson out there on the point of a 1-2-2 zone, his arms were so long, I had to kind of adapt my offense a little bit so that I could run a decoy, 
pass to the forward and cut the guard through, and Bobby Wilkerson would sink back into the lane and into the paint. Then I could swing the ball around. Otherwise, I couldn't swing it around. And another coach in my era was uh, Virgil Sweet up at Valparaiso. He really had a nice program, and he uh, had a special free throw method uh, technique that he used for all of his players to shoot, and he always ended up uh, in the top three or four in the state on free throw percentage. So that uh, influenced me a great deal. I didn't uh, uh, pattern patternize my shot off of his. I want my free throw to look more like a jump shot, but no jump. You know, so you get all those repetitions in and, uh, you know, develop more accuracy if you did it that way. And I started those athletes out at the freshman year with that uh, thought in mind. And as they developed that free throw and their jump shot, they were similar. And my free throw percentage did rise to the top after those freshmen became uh, seniors in high school. I think they uh, ended up about third in the state on free throw percentage. So those are two standout coaches that uh, in my early coaching probably had a lot of influence on me. And, of course, I watched the, the collegiate coaches a lot, too, and and probably read a lot of books, too, on developing different aspects of the game. While you were a high school basketball coach, did you uh, enjoy or did you go to the state finals or the final four a lot? Oh, I sure did. Uh, while I was coaching uh, – from 1960 all the way to uh, 78, I went to uh, the Indiana High School Athletic Association sectionals, all the regionals, all the semi-states, all the states, and probably all the all-star games. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the weekend of the all-star game, we would have a, a coaches clinic there in, in Indianapolis where we coaches could all gather and exchange uh, uh, ideas about offense and defense and, and, and training. So I did uh, uh, really get involved in all that. And so after coaching, say, like at Portage and Hayworth and Castle, I knew a lot of those coaches all up and down the state. And uh, so I even took part in the Coaches Association uh, you know, the board, and I was an officer one year. And uh, it was a thrill to represent Indiana in about 1970. I went to Washington, D.C. to uh, the National Coaches Association meeting, and that was uh, really a wonderful experience for me to do that. Uh, Two-part question. What was the – what state final stands out the most and what all-star experience stands out the most that you've been to? Oh, my. That's a real loaded question. I've seen so many. <laughs> well, I'll have to go back actually to 1961, you know, with the Kokomo Wildcats because I had a brother on that team, Dave Cox, starting guard, and uh, it was against the special team at Indianapolis, Manuel with the Van Arsdale twins. So that one actually does stick out most in my mind. I remember sitting up in Hinklefield House you know, in the stands, watching that team perform. And when it got down to the end where it went into overtime and then in the overtime, you know, I don't know. My heart started beating pretty fast about that time. I wasn't accustomed to being up in the bleachers uh, 
and watching uh, a game like that, and I had that special interest of uh, Dave Cox playing as well. Uh, was was it was the majority of the crowd for Kokomo, or how did how did levy out Manuel and Kokomo? I I bet it was probably split pretty much down the middle. Yeah, yeah because both teams were very exciting, and I think Kokomo uh, and the other schools that fed into the Final Four. Uh, I think that crowd was probably pretty much split because of the quality of players and quality of teams both of them had. Any all-star experiences uh, stand out to you or games that you watched? Oh, golly. Um, Well, I'll go back to uh, 1970. (laughs) (laughs) At Coco Hayworth, I had Bruce Rose, the seventh man on the all-star team. So... In answer to your question, I better just go ahead and just focus on that one. <laughs> and uh, I might uh, uh, share with you uh, an experience that Bruce Rose needed to make. Bruce Rose was a multiple uh, sport athlete. He was a tight end in football at Kokomo Hayworth. And then he played uh, basketball. He was six, uh, six, you know, about 220. And he played baseball, too. And guess what position Bruce Rose played in baseball? Catcher. He was really a big target behind that plate. But when he made the uh, uh, all-star team in basketball, uh, the state finals were on the same weekend, and Hayworth of uh, Kokomo was in that baseball uh, championship too. So Bruce had to make a choice, whether to play basketball or go back to his team and play baseball. And, he chose to play the basketball. And I think the uh, um, Hayworth the Huskies uh, met uh, Memorial from Evansville, and I think uh, they lost the uh, state championship by, I think, one run. How well did he play in the basketball game? Uh, he played well. Um, I can't recall what his stats were. Yeah. But uh, – he he played a solid game. Um, he would not be a real standout in scoring, but he would, always would box off and rebound well, and he was a good passer. And um, he went on to play at uh, Purdue, and Purdue allowed him to play uh, both football and uh, basketball his first year as a freshman. And I'll go ahead and continue about him. He was a two-year starter uh in basketball, but after the first year football and basketball, he had to make a decision as to which sport that he's going to choose to play. And I did get to ask him that question, uh, and he chose basketball. But, Bruce, why did you choose basketball over football? Because I think that you probably would have more potential maybe to play professional football. He said, well, Coach, he says – the Boilermakers are going to be making a holiday trip to uh, 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 to the Bahamas, no, to uh, Hawaii, <laughs> and uh, that was what made him uh, change his mind to play uh, <laughs> basketball instead of football. He had a trip to go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, in, in your coaching career, and you know everybody I have on the show, I kind of ask this this question. Um, at all the schools that you uh, coached for, did was there politics that you had to play with each school, and 
and a, a group of people that you just kind of cringed every time that you, you, you had to chat with them or meet with them? Or what, what kind of role did politics play in, in coaching in Indiana high school basketball? Well, I was aware that there was a lot of politics out there. But I think when I decided to become a high school coach, and after watching other coaches uh, in their experiences, I decided that when I went into the community to be the head basketball coach, that I was the guy that was in charge. And I was the guy that was trained for that position. And I had the experiences to back up my work that I did as a coach. And I just kind of looked at it in a way that, you know, I've got to be the leader here. And I can't allow any of the parents or any of the booster club members, none of those to allow me to be distracted. You know, I would listen to maybe some of their suggestions, but I would tell them, you know, uh, I'll listen to your suggestions, but I won't uh, guarantee that I'll use them. So uh, I knew it was there, but uh, I didn't really have a, a problem with any of that. I just went ahead and uh, just tried to do my job. And the main thing I wanted to do is to accomplish what my calling was there to do. I was there to work with young athletes and try to give them the building blocks to build their lives from, help them develop their skills so they become the best athlete they can become, and try to mold them into the level, skill level, that they go on to college and play if they so desired. And as long as I stayed focused on those kinds of, uh, you know, goals that I set for myself and for the team, I, uh, you know, everything, you know, went went uh, quite well. You know, as you were uh, uh, answering my question, I just pictured Gene Hackman in the barbershop in Hoosiers. I'm sorry, what was that about the barbershop? I said, uh, as you're answering my question about that, I just pictured uh, Gene Hackman in the barbershop at Hoosiers and, you know, just kind of you know, oh, listening yeah. to everybody's uh -huh. comment and then walking uh -huh. out. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I had uh, I had experience in uh, Kokomo where Saturday mornings we'd have a, a radio show, you know, an interview, and some of the uh, parents and fans could uh, – uh, join in and sit out and listen to the live broadcast if they so desire. And so uh, uh, I knew the parents, I knew the players, and I knew maybe who they were dating and all that kind of thing. And I'll share this with you. Uh, I had a couple mothers that uh, wanted their uh, girlfriend's boyfriend to get more medicine. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of approached me, and and uh, I knew right away, uh, you know, what they were going to be asking. Why didn't uh, so and so get more minutes tonight? <laughs> so I did have to, uh, you know, give them the feedback that, uh, you know, from a coach's view as to why they didn't get their uh, minutes that they uh, were asking about. And so I just kind of shook that off, and I just kind of told my friends that uh, my future mothers involved of my players uh, approached me today. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to have a sense of humor to handle situations like that, and that's kind of the way that I did that particular situation. And, and naturally, sometimes these uh, future mothers-in-laws didn't like maybe the answers that I gave, but, uh, you know, uh, they got over it. 
Coach, if, if, if I had to ask a, a couple of referees that refereed a lot of your games, what kind of coach or what, what, what kind of uh, uh, sideline uh, uh, demeanor that you had, what would you say they would say? Well, you know, uh, that's really a good question because I had a lot of experience, you know, with the referees throughout the years. And um, um, what I tried to do uh, after I got into the coaching uh, a few years, you know, during the Hayworth uh, Husky years with those big, strong teams that I had, I wanted to make sure I had big, strong referees, too, because those referees, that type, would let you play. And those shorter referees, they were, uh, they were whistle tutors, and they would uh, try to be showmen out there on the court. So uh, I think I just saw uh, in uh, the Kokomo uh, newspaper where the Kokomo coach had uh, an experience in the sectional with one of these kinds of uh, referees that called a, a double tech real quick. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I learned that um, – you have to uh, be a pretty mild-mannered guy on that sideline and uh, have a sense of humor, too. I was one of those guys. I think I uh, simulated uh, Johnny Wooden as much as I could because I think my uh, personality, his personality, is probably similar. But sometimes when these referees, you know, I'd complain, hey, block or, uh, you know, charge or, or blocking, and I would question one of those referees pretty fiercely. And then uh, he'd go down the court and blow the whistle and call something, and he'd come back by and says, "Are we even now, Coach?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, I liked uh, the referees that would do something like that. Coach, did you ever get tossed out of a game? Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. You had to bring that up, didn't you? Yes, I did. Well, I uh, I went through the years with very few technical fouls. But my last coaching job uh, was at Castle High School, suburbs of Evansville. And um, I think it was about my third year there, after struggling on getting the wins in the win column, I think we averaged like nine wins and 12 losses during that time frame. And it's really late in my coaching career. (laughs) And I went against all the grain that I had in the past years. And I started, I think, trying to play. I tried to referee, and I tried to coach all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, I had this one game. uh, There's a charge and block right out in front of me, and it's against Tecumseh, real tiny school. And I jumped up, and I decided to slip my coat off and just throw it. And so, anyway, I got a big tech, but my players got fired up. And they understood what I was trying to get done, is to not let a little school beat our big school. And one of those same referees was at Evansville North on the evening that I questioned a call. And I was trying to communicate with an official that was a little further away, but this closer official, he jumped up and called a tech on me real quick, and then... He turned right back around and said, okay, that's tech number two, and you're out of here. (laughs) And, Billy, that was in the early part of the fourth quarter. My team was behind some. And I went into that locker room, and, boy, it was real lonely back there in that locker room all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I'm glad I didn't have any more experiences like that, and I'm almost embarrassed to tell that story on myself here today. <laughs> Coach, did, while you were playing college basketball, did you ever have any interactions with any of the uh, head coaches from the opposing team, you know, uh, telling you what they thought of your game, or, or uh, do you remember any interaction uh, with any of them? Um, probably the one that I remember most would be when – UCLA came into Evansville to play uh, my senior year. And this was at a direct interaction with Johnny Wooden. And uh, we, um, as the Aces, we, we were able to beat the UCLA team by seven points. And we had our uh, fast break game going up and down the court. And Hugh Alry and I, we'd been starters on that team for three years. And then after the game, uh, he gave uh, Hugh Alger and I a real compliment. He said uh, he thought we were the best two little guards he'd seen that year. Wow. And coming from Johnny Wooden, well, that stuck with me really well. And maybe that's why I leaned toward him as one of my favorite coaches of all time. What, came, what went through your mind when they decided to implement the three-point line in high school and in college? Well, Bill, guess what? I didn't experience that in playing right. nor coaching, but um, I think it uh, took away uh, from uh, offensive patterns that the uh, coaches would uh, establish, you know, with uh, several options on your offense. It seems to me that uh, the coaches gave the players more liberty to shoot the long ball. And I think there's more long ball shooting, uh, in the last uh, few years and what we had, uh, you know, without that three-point uh, shot. I think we worked it inside into the paint, got more probably higher percentage shots than what they do today. And um, I've watched, uh, say, like even Zionsville play with that big tall Smiths on the team. Right. They're doing a lot of perimeter shooting, and I think uh, that three-point line is a distraction should be getting that ball into your strength, like a seven-footer. You let him get a lot of touches. And I'm not being critical of that program out there. I'm just saying that uh, right. that leads to uh, that kind of type of basketball offensive play when you have that three-point uh, circle around there. What do you think of the state of the game today? I know I, I've seen where you've been to a lot of uh, tournament games this year so far, but what, what do you think of the state of the game do you think it'll ever go back to the way it was? Or do you think it can progress and become better the way it is? Well, um, I think uh, right now it's at a pretty decent level. In fact, uh, I'm going to have to applaud uh, Hoosier basketball. Uh, I went to Carmel sectional and saw all seven games. And I saw some terrific games like Fishers and Carmel went two overtimes and the crowd was really uh, into the game like the old Hoosier hysteria back in say the movie Hoosier's time and then um, you know Carmel against Hamilton Southeastern you know the that atmosphere there uh, I would rate it up there like it uh, needs to be but I don't know how the other sexual sites were but uh, uh, for Carmel and my area, you know, I was really pleased to see basketball develop back to that level again. 
uh, skill-wise on the court, these guys are all well-coached, too, and then the fans got involved. So uh, I really did enjoy last week. Um, you know, that's a big time of my life is uh, the Indian High School Association tournaments. Do you think Carmel has what it takes to uh, take it further in the tournament? I don't think that uh, they have everything that it takes. Um, I think uh, their uh, regional at Marion, I think they still have uh, a good shot to maybe uh, win there. But I'm not familiar with the other teams that will be feeding into uh, the next level. Uh, I would hate to make a prediction because when I do the brackets, I don't do a very good job on those brackets <laughs> when I pick. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, that Carmel Klein is really a pure shooter. And I saw him play uh, against Havilah Southeastern in the sectional, and uh, he had 19 points the first half. And then all of his shots were coming off of a double pick uh, uh, across the baseline out to the wing. And as soon as he caught that ball, he turned and shot right over the defense who really couldn't get to him. And, um, Second half, he ended up getting uh, uh, 12 points. So 31 points, he's quite a shooter. And I think with a little weight room uh, at uh, Purdue, he's going to be uh, he, he's going to become a real fine player. Yeah, I think they match up with McCushion, which uh, Coach Peckinpah there uh, at McCushion this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the reason why I can't uh, really make any uh, predictions, I haven't seen those teams play. I've heard that McCutcheon had a real nice ball club, and I think I got some feedback from when they played uh, Kokomo. And uh, they were saying that they had some really fine uh, offensive players on that team. Well, Coach, the hour goes by quick. <laughs> you, you mean to say we've already been an hour? <laughs> we've already been an hour. Can you believe that? Well, I've had just as much fun this uh, part two as I did part one. I hope that uh, our audience out there will enjoy uh, our sharing, uh, you know, the basketball memories that uh, I've been a part of for a number of years. Oh, and I know they will, and every, everybody enjoys this, and it's been a pleasure. Especially the first show, the first show went really well, and uh, I'm sure this one will, uh, uh, as we speak, they'll be hearing this uh, this upcoming Sunday evening from eight to nine on Indiana Talks. Again, Billy, thank you so much for uh, inviting me uh, to be with you today. I really do uh, enjoy your leadership, uh, keeping the nostalgia alive, and uh, you're doing a remarkable job there. And and since I've uh, learned a little bit more how your uh, how your uh, operation works, why well, I'm enjoying it even more all the time. <laughs>